From the bench on the main street of Greenbow, Alabama, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who always know what they're going to get in a box of chocolates, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Love box of chocolates. Corey, why don't you go ahead and name the author of that intro? That was brought to you by Alexander Berlika. He's not a smart man, but he knows what love is. I have no idea what that means. Thank you, Alexander, as always. Uh, Mark, uh, the, um, the, yeah. si- the silly season has begun. And, uh, explain. Well, explain. Well, you know, here we have, we, we have uh, two, the two political conventions are out of the way. I'm sure everyone who lives outside of the United States uh, wonders why we still throw on this uh, straw hat and ragtime band, uh, whooping it up 19th century political party for the two parties. But that being said, we got some, uh, we're going to talk about some political documentaries today. That are that fit right in with that. Going to uh, pay homage, certainly to um, pay not homage, but certainly uh, you know memory of 9/11, which is this week, the anniversary. Got a couple of DVDs dealing with that. But meanwhile, those cookies sucked. Oh, are we talking about cookies? Yeah. We uh, okay. Well, well, briefly, <laughs> uh, let's say that I made cookies that sucked this week. Well, you know what? I I bought this Bon Appetit uh, yeah. book cookbook. And there was a recipe for caramel cookies. And they started the description with the words, this unusual cookie, XYZ is a caramel. So I make it, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. Yeah, they, it's they, unusual, all right. They taste like nothing. They taste like nothing. Terrible. So, caramel, caramel cookies. Which means, I hope, which means that the Bon Appetit cookbook has to redeem itself next week. Caramel, caramel doesn't need to be in a cookie. It's just caramel. Why? Caramel's well, good. No, but I'm saying, if, caramel is caramel. Why would anyone eat caramel and then go, you know what, this is so good, it should be in a cookie? Well, people say that about caramel ice cream. I make great salted caramel That's ice cream. That's fine, but it's like you don't taste ice cream and go, you know what, this is so good, this should be a cookie. No, you put cookies in ice cream. You don't, you know, Wait, you don't, you don't ice take... cream cookie. Oh, my gosh. Have we come up with something? Is that copywritten? Uh, Patented? You, you know what? We... Ice cream and a cookie together? Can we do that? You know what? We have protection that's even more. That's even better than that. You know, you know, you know what that protection is? What is that? The idea is terrible. Yeah. So really, <laughs> even better than uh, uh, you know, fearing someone's going to steal it is the fact that the uh, idea is terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well. So uh, that's it. So I, I will try to uh, do better next week. That's all right. Although I must say, you still have made me nothing from the Downton Abbey book. By the way, I know it, it's been it's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks. Y- y- yes, Star Trek Into Darkness. What would you like to talk about? Oh gosh, what a horrible title that is, Star Trek Into Darkness. It's like w- it's like what do you do when you think okay, we don't want it to be Star Trek two, three, four, five like the Shatner films. Yeah. We don't want it to be Star Trek colon Generations or Star Trek colon First Contact like the Patrick Stewart films. So we'll just have to make like a name. It just here's some words. Yeah, and now it's going to be everything is going to be Star Trek followed by a preposition and then something stupid. Star Trek into darkness, uh, Star Trek under the overpass, uh, Star Trek uh, into the light, into the light, uh, Star Trek uh, over the fence. It, what, you know what? What are we going to do? It's it, it now. It, now it just becomes a silly wordplay. But it also nonsense. doesn't really make. It doesn't flow. Mark. Yes. Ten years ago. Yes. More than six hundred million tickets were sold to summer movies. Yes. This year, uh, more than a decade later, 15% fewer, more than 100 million tickets fewer were sold to movies. We have lost 15% of the summer movie time audience in a decade. And not only that, this last weekend was the worst movie weekend since two weeks after 9-11. You know, and... Is it over? Are movies dead? Yes. No, yes, movies are totally dead. Uh, Here's what... The studio. Here's how the studios will react. Yes, they will make more two hundred million dollar films. Yes, and they will release them every two weeks during the summer. Yes, that's what they will do. They I will know. double down. It, it's not like they'll say, "Why do we make really high quality thirty to seventy five million dollar films?" You know, did you read that? Uh, there was there's a great interview with JJ. Is it the LA Times? Uh, it might be the Wrap. Anyway, uh, JJ basically is totally on board with the the insanity of movie budgets. I mean, I, I completely respect that because otherwise there is not a single director in town that has the the courage to say, uh, you know what? I don't really need two hundred million dollars to make a movie. Every one of them will say, oh yeah, yeah, give me it, bring it on, give me three hundred, give me four hundred. I mean, it's the it's the Cameron mentality. JJ's like movie budgets are insane. It's a great interview. He totally agrees. He wants he wants them to come down. He just doesn't understand why they have to be so astronomically high. 
Because that's how the studios think. I know. They think the they more they stop. spend. But when you have somebody like JJ who actually comes out and says that, I mean, I've had I know people who've gone into meetings where they where they've been asked, well, how much do you think this movie will cost? And they think they're actually doing a good thing by saying, oh, I think we can do about fifty. And the answer is, ah, oh, that's too bad because I was really looking for something in like the hundred and twenty million dollar range. Like they think that a certain amount of if you want a certain level of quality, you have to spend a certain amount of money, which is not at all true. I mean, look, thirty million dollars bought you District Nine. Yeah. Hello. I mean, that's it's insane that you would need to spend more than that. It's crazy. So JJ, JJ got clout. JJ being good. He did. No, he, no. He, he, he said budgets were preposterous. You know, I told you before the show that I was having trouble uh, enunciating today. Yes. So I'm just putting this out there. I'm going to sound horrible today. That's okay. Uh, JJ said that film budgets are preposterous and embarrassing. That's it. And keeps filmmakers from thinking out of the box. There you go. Look at Amen. That. That's right. It's true. Amen. Right on. I, I'm so with J.J. on that one. Regardless of whether or not Star Trek Into Darkness is any good or not, and I still hate the title, but I love that he's, uh, he's going there. Yep. All right, Mark. Yep. First off, the, yep. Uh, the 11th anniversary of 9-11 is this week. Oh, you're uh, starting off with a, uh, starting on, off on a high. On a high note, yeah, on a high note. But uh, you know what? I mean, there was a moment after 9-11 where I, I swear it was like 50, 50 documentaries a week. It was just insane. Everybody had to get their 9-11 documentary in. Uh, it's a little milder this time. We actually have uh, one here from the Smithsonian Channel called 9-11, The Day That Changed the World. Uh, it's narrated by Martin Sheen, and it also includes uh, 9-11 stories in fragments. Uh, no, not substantially better than anything that's already in existence. Uh, certainly very nicely made. Uh, the perspective of 10 years certainly does contribute to, um, to some sobriety and uh, a little bit of you know, necessary distance. Um, but that being said, I you know I, I still think it's you know it's still tough for me to watch footage from that day. I got to tell you, I have a hard time with it. And um, and also, I, there's so much of it. So that much of if it. If you watch a particular show or watch a particular DVD, maybe you haven't seen, you will inevitably see 9/11 footage you have not seen before. True. And it'll be disturbing. Yep. Very very true. And then we also have an interesting title here from Virgil Films. It's called uh, 846 Never Forget, and that's 846 as in the time with the colon between the, uh, the 8 and the 4. Um, this was uh, in the short film competition at Cannes. And uh, I, you know, they must have changed the rules or something because there was once a time when the short film competition at Cannes was like limited to you know you you could not be longer than ten minutes and this thing's almost an hour so this is a, this is a short technically a short film almost an hour long fifty five minutes um, that is uh, its own DVD and um, you know that's a that's an interesting time because fifty five minutes is like not quite a feature but it's you know it's almost more like an episode of a TV series anyway um, this is actually a really really very good very competent film quite moving. And it's, it's all about, uh, you know, 9-11. And uh, it's dedicated to the memory of the people who survived and uh, those who lost their lives. And uh, I, I uh, really applaud them. It's been at a number of festivals, and it's kind of going to fly under the radar a little bit. Uh, very, very good job by writer-director Jennifer Gargano, who uh, I think probably has a, a decent feature career ahead of her if, uh, you know, this thing gets any kind of traction and gets seen by enough people. I really think, uh, I think there's something there. Wait, you, do you realize what will not get seen by enough people? Uh, what? I'm making a very awkward transition. To the, uh, to the debacle that is the Marvel Avengers Blu-ray briefcase set. Oh, my gosh. We've been talking about this on the Facebook page. You know, this thing's delayed now until 2013. I was so excited for this thing. You know what? Just do, honestly, we've been, the, the, the way the thread has been going on the Facebook page, and, you know, come on, everybody, I want you to know, join the Facebook page. If you haven't joined, there's no excuse. Lots of great discussions going on. Come on over. IGN Digigods, just do a Facebook search on uh, on Digigods. Uh, we are not the uh, the the like fishing place or the tech place in India. There's like some retailer in India called Digigods. Is that um, right? Yeah, there's some like yeah, I don't know. It's like you you buy you know fishing tackle and VCRs. Well, or something. Ours is IGN Digigods. Yeah. Well, if anyway, you, if you go on Facebook and look up IGN Digigods, that's you'll get us. us. The the people in India that not us. Yes. Um. But anyway, the. Um, Great discussion going there. And email us, gods at digigods.com. Send us your Vox boxes and your emails. Just load us up. We're, we're looking for it. Uh, we do have a Vox box today, by the way, later on. Jesus, but talk about the briefcase. The, Wait. The briefcase, uh, just get, do away with the briefcase. Forget about it. Just let, cool. let, let the German company have their copyright. Let them bitch and moan about the briefcase and just put it in something else. Well, uh, well that's easier said than done. I'm, sh- I'm sure they had already pressed hundreds of thousands of these briefcases. You know what I mean? And now they've got to go back. 
they got to design, build, prototype, and mass mar- uh, you know and mass okay. manufacture another five hundred thousand briefcases. So it's going to take months. I don't care. Well, I guess according to this ar- article that I, that I just pulled up, uh, the briefcase maker said they approved the use of the case in the movie, but claimed Marvel did not get permission to make replicas for the Blu-ray set. That is the deal. They just want a piece. We all want peace. That's no justice, no peace, Wade. That's all they want. That's all they want. Well, well you know, anyway. Wade, uh, here's the thing. Uh, 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 my mother uh, calls me and she says, um, you know, uh, I, I want to see that Barack Obama 2016 movie. Yeah. And I was like, do you have to? <laughs> and it was funny. I, I, I said to her, I said, you realize that the director of that film probably is, is shedding a tear of joy in hearing you say that. Because my mother, <laughs> who barely sees movies. Yeah. Never talks politics, uh-huh. let alone sees a political documentary yeah. in the theater that she pays money for. Yeah. Here, she is actually going at seventy years old, yeah. climbing into her in, into her old lady mobile, and driving to wherever, there you and go. shelling out her hard-earned money. That's only Social Security at this point, <laughs> right? A non-political woman who barely goes to see movies and barely leaves the house is going to see Obama two thousand sixteen. That's and I said, you realize that the director is like wow. shedding a tear of joy for that. Wow. And. Um, so she can go see that uh, that crap, which I didn't see because you know what I feel I've already seen it. It's wow. the same as that you know. It's the same as that it uh, you know. It's, it's the same as that that horrible uh, Sarah Palin documentary. Look, yeah. I hate Sarah. Pa- I hate Sarah Palin as much as, as, as any <laughs> sane person. But that documentary is a piece of crap. It's just, a, all, it's just a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of, bunch of it's propaganda. All, it's stop all, it. It's all election year polemicizing. Just stop it. Anyway. Which is why we're going to talk about real documentaries right now. We are Barack Obama from his childhood to his presidency. Uh, this is from the good folks at the, at the at bio. And this is all about uh, how um, uh, Barack Obama was uh, uh, born in a, uh, a madrasas, whatever they call it. He's yeah. a sleeper uh, terrorist, and how he was born <laughs> in Pakistan and is a full-blown Muslim. And uh, he's actually a sleeper terrorist who is going to be activated uh, soon <laughs> to blow up the White House. And I, I read that on Drudge Report. Did you? Yes. That's, that's great. Very exciting. That's great. It's, it, it, it was linked to uh, tinfoilhat.com. <laughs> and you know what else is on tinfoilhat.com? Hmm. The one where they said that, uh, that George Bush actually personally remote controlled the planes into the World, into the just, World Trade Center. You know, I got that one, too. It's not the 21st century. I think they're lying. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barack Obama, this is good stuff. Look, obviously, uh, there's plenty of uh, bio information on Barack Obama. What you want is that you want the stuff that just, that just says what it is. You can think of his politics, whether you like him or hate him. Doesn't matter to me just but in terms of note. the facts this is who this guy is this is where he yep. was born uh bio barack obama from his childhood to his presidency is, uh, is is pretty good and then we also have a tremendous box set this is from pbs uh the american experience series on all these presidents and this is great every single one of these is absolutely awesome uh this includes and if you've been if you followed this series you you know this is this is as good as it gets on the american experience i mean th- this is great documentary filmmaking and uh, they just went to the wall. Teddy Roosevelt may be the best of all of these. That is a tremendous, tremendous piece. Great research, great filmmaking, the whole thing. But the rest of these are pretty awesome as well. Uh, they got one on Wilson, on FDR, Truman, Kennedy, LBJ, Nixon, Carter, Reagan, uh, Clinton, and uh, Bush 41, GHW Bush. Um, it, this is an amazing set. It really is. It's just, uh, just outstanding. And uh, you have a total of uh, 17 discs, 17 discs in a relatively compact case. And uh, you could not get a better history of the 20th century through the uh, experiences and the administrations of American presidents. It's really, really great. And then uh, kind of as a companion piece to that is another PBS uh, title called The First Ladies. This includes profiles of uh, Dolly Madison. Eleanor Roosevelt, Lady Bird Johnson, Betty Ford, and Nancy Reagan. And uh, granted, the, that's only five, uh, but there are five very significant ones. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are just going to be really, really pissed, like, you know, Barbara Bush and, uh, and, you know, Jackie O. It's like, why aren't we in there? Why is this only about these five? Well, you know what? It's because these are the five who made it. I don't know. I didn't. Don't blame me. And uh, then, as long as we're on politics... We also have uh, documentaries about other leaders. Very interesting stuff. Uh, not our leaders, not American leaders, but leaders who've had you know, varying degrees of success in, say, oh, Latin America. The uh, Pinochet case by Patricio Guzman is absolutely outstanding. If you saw Nostalgia for the Light, you, you know what a great director Guzman is, because Nostalgia for the Light is like this. It, it's almost an impossible subject to distill into a documentary. Which, by the way, Nostalgia for the Light is coming out on Blu-ray. Yes, it is. Thank goodness. 
And uh, the Pinochet case basically is uh, is Guzman, you know, because Guzman is, is Chilean. It's his look at the uh, the whole you know downfall of Pinochet when he was arrested in 1998 and uh, finally charged with human rights violations. And you know, it was just such a cathartic period for the Chileans because they'd gone through such hell uh, under Pinochet. And uh, this is really, really great filmmaking. This is from Icarus Home Video, and uh, it, it's amazing how much he packs into this film. It's like barely 110 minutes long, but it's really, really good. And then from New Yorker, the new upstart uh, resurrected New Yorker, thank goodness they're back on the, uh, on the map, uh, is Lula, son of Brazil. And uh, this is by Fabio Barreto, and it is, of course, a Brazilian film with some great extras on it. And uh, it, it, it's a fascinating look at a guy that I don't think they talk about enough here. Um, president Lula, who's no longer president of Brazil, but he... Um, it's amazing how he kind of the, the background he came from and the political path that he took to uh, become president of Brazil. All well, everybody thought this is a guy here is like some crazy leftist. He's going to take this you know amazing developing economy. And he's going to turn it. He's just going to he's going to Chavez it. He's going to send it right down into the dumps. And Lula turned out to be this amazing moderating force. Brought people together, changed the economy. Kind of you know really wore a lot of different hats and kept a lot of balls in the air and did some amazing things in helping modernize Brazil. So still a problematic country, not out of the woodshed, but it's a it's a great documentary about a guy who's really a fascinating uh, figure and might wind up being going going down as one of the great uh, South American political you know change figures of all time. So that's a, that's a good one. Speaking of Blu-ray pre-orders, yeah, what do we got? What can you order? What can you pre-order on Blu-ray, Wade? Well, you know what? How about Catch Me If You Can? Ooh, yeah, terrific film, terrific Spielberg film. Loved it a lot. Yeah. Uh, very surprised. I, I do love that movie. It's it's not it's not what I would have expected it to be you right. know I, I thought it was going to be kind of a, an, inter, an interlude film for Spielberg like kind of phoning it in but it wasn't it was really good it was a good movie really that good great movie. Uh, that great title sequence and that great John Williams title music oh that, that like wannabe Saul Bass title yes. uh, sequence yes yeah. uh, Star Trek Next Generation season 2 it's available in 3 months you can go ahead and uh, rent that also uh, very exciting for me Suddenly is on Blu-ray now you're saying Suddenly with Frank Sinatra Available in three months. Why? Why do we care about suddenly where Frank Sinatra has to uh, stop the assassination of the president? Why do we care about that, Wade? Because suddenly was directed by my, by my step-grandfather. I love it when you talk about him. <laughs> what else did he direct? He directed something else like... Uh, the Uninvited. That's it, yeah. A bunch of other stuff, too. Uh, great, great at dinner. He, he would tell the best stories. Um, he hired Steven Spielberg, and he lent, I, I think I said before, he lent Sean Connery 50 bucks to buy his first suit for his first audition. Uh, now, Wade, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, a film you have some uh, a passing fondness for. Oh, yeah. Is uh, available for pre-order on Amazon. November 13th, it comes out. Uh, you got to love that. And then, uh, yeah, those are pretty much the big ones. I mean, Lawless is going to, uh, Lawless is available for pre-order. Magic Mike is available for pre-order. Uh, you can check those out. And, uh, you know, those are kind of the big ones. Sweetness. That's what I say. Good deal. Speaking of sweetness, uh, Lewis Black, not a very sweet man. Oh, man, he makes me laugh. Don't you ever wonder what uh, Lewis Black is like, just like, just he's having dinner? You know what I didn't even realize? Is he married with, does he marry, does he have kids? No, no, don't you realize? What's his deal? Lewis Black has been going out with, um, for, for years already, he's been going out with uh, Kathleen Madigan, uh, who is also incredibly funny. And it's funny because they're two of my favorite comics, like, ever on the stand-up tour. And uh, I, I had no idea that they were even a couple. But it kind of makes sense because they have a similarly acerbic way of looking at the world. Now, she's not as, you know, angry and irate and, and uh, just pissed off all the time as he is, which is his whole shtick. But she's terribly funny, and uh, she's been around forever. So I, I think it's a great couple. I'd love to hang out with them. I'd love for them to adopt me. Just, just let me wake up and make me laugh all day long. I'm not sure you want them as your parents. Put, put me in a high chair. Just let me sit there in a high chair and shake a rattle while they, you know, uh, tell jokes at breakfast. I'll be happy. I'll yeah. be happy. I'll wear a little bonnet with a beanie. Exactly. All right, listen, uh, uh, there's some funny stuff in here. Uh, also, there's some recent stuff. Like, it's not all about, like, uh, you know, President Clinton jokes, like, uh, like uh, <laughs> what's his name still does? Jackie Mason. Oh, jeez. There's funny stuff here about the droid phone and Farmville and, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's good stuff. And the iPhone, there's funny stuff about the iPhone eating sushi. So I, I like the fact that this has a lot of, like, you know, currently relevant pop mm-hmm. culture stuff in it without worrying about, like, making jokes about Lindsay Lohan. But although he does get into Jersey Shore. Um, yeah. Anyway, so In God We Rust is on Blu-ray. Thank you very much. It's about nice. time. Start coming out with stuff on Blu-ray. Just, you know what? Just by, just by default. Yes. Come out with stuff on Blu-ray. 
Especially for concerts. I mean, I, I've talked about how concert films are just really terrific on Blu-ray. Not just because the, it looks good, but it sounds good. But you know what? Stand-up stuff, comedy uh, concerts are great on Blu-ray, too. There's no reason why they continue to be on DVD like the next one you're going to talk about. That is true. By the way, speaking of stand-up comedy, uh, I saw a one-woman show last week. Just one? Yes. They couldn't well, afford more? I saw one one-woman show. Oh. And it was uh, the one woman in the show was um, Kelly Carlin. Now, Kelly Carlin is George Carlin's daughter. Really? She, she, is Carlin's she funny? Well, she's a therapist. Or, or, is, she, or is she just... No, uh, no, she's not, no it's, it's, she's not, she's not okay. doing shtick. She's oh. doing a one-woman show about having George Carlin as her father and her raging alcoholic mother. And so there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, it's, it's, she's, she's, she obviously has the, perfor- the performer's gene, so the show is very good and very well delivered, and there's a lot of great stories and a lot of great anecdotes, and it was directed by Paul Provenza, the comic, so there's a lot of uh, you know, creative use of clips and some sound effects, so that's terrific. So anyway, Kelly Carlin, if you're ever in L.A. and you see this uh, Kelly Carlin one-woman show um, called A Carlin Home Companion, then uh, you should check it out. Anyway, uh, the other stand-up DVD we'll talk about is uh, Mr. Universe, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan's funny, and the reason Jim Gaffigan is funny is because I, I, I like his delivery. The whale just sort of do this all of a sudden. You know what I, I love, love bacon. You know what I love. Who doesn't love bacon? You know the the best thing about Jim Gaffigan's style is when he he starts having that um, that that kind of phantom conversation with himself, like what the people in the audience would be saying. Why is he saying that? Which which it just it slays me because it's immediately what everyone what you actually are thinking. It's sort of he he photocopies what's in your mind. And then he says it. It's a it's a very strange effect to actually realize that he's he's that far inside the audience's mind and knows exactly how to manipulate them. He's a very savvy comic. But what's funny is that that when you do that, that allows you to say material that either isn't that funny, and he's yeah. kind of road testing it because he can he, he can always say a joke that yeah. maybe is insensitive, mm-hmm. and so the audience is now against you because you just said an insensitive joke. But then they get back on your side when he says. I didn't like that joke at all. It was very <laughs> insensitive. And then suddenly you're, 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 you're with him again. It's true. It's a, he's, he's so a, you can use that. He's little, a super smart comic. Yeah. Anyway, Jim Gaffigan, Mr. Universe, uh, good stuff. He does bits on, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, stuff. Ought to be Blu-ray. And junk, huh? Ought to be Blu-ray. Oh, I know. Why is it not Blu-ray? I don't know. <gasps> I remember this movie. I remember these movies. <laughs> oh my god! Mark, Mark just snatched the Wilderness Family. Yeah, part. the the uh, a bunch of the Wilderness Family films are out on DVD now. Oh and, yeah, and uh, they sent us the first one. Yes, the Wilderness. <laughs> these are, these are, I you know what it is because I ju- I have memories of seeing this oh with my, my family. Do, do you really? Yes. Oh my gosh! Now, my, but which one? Now, is this the one? That's from, the ori- uh, that's the first one. This is the first that's one. The, the original the Adventures one. of the Wilderness. That's the original. What were we thinking? I don't know. It was it was strange because they all came out around the same time as Grizzly Adams. There were a lot of these sort of mountaineering wannabe Disney family things, and a lot of them were made by Schick Sun Classics movies, which it, it did you know it started off doing cheesy documentaries like uh, the uh, science fiction uh, or the um, the Outer Space Connection and Chariots of the Gods and all this kind of stuff. And then they went eventually to Hangar 18, which I, I wish would wind yeah. up. Remember Hangar 18? Well, you know what it is? It was Hangar 18. It was the Maelstrom Chronicles. Yeah. Or, no, the Hellstrom Chronicles. Yeah. All those like pseudo-docu, what are you kidding me, yeah. sort of thriller movies. Uh, they're just all terrible. Yeah. And, you know, and Wilderness Family, again, I have memories uh, living, in, living on Long Island at a, as a very small tyke going with my parents to go see the adventures of the wilderness go. family. I know. And were they, were they really adventurers, or did they just kind of hang out and just farm and pick apples? And I, You know, this, the, the, this movie is so bad. It's just <laughs> so bad. It's just, I mean, come on. I, this thing probably cost 14 cents to make. Yeah. You cast a bunch of nobodies. You put them out in, the, uh, put, you put them out in some park, and they— Who went they, to see these? Uh, me. You, the, the family, parents took their kids. <laughs> I know. I went to see the wilderness Weird. family. as a very, very, very small person. It was a different land back then. And they— um, they made a couple. They made a couple other ones, because you know. Here's the thing: is that at the time, at the time, you know, like uh, we're talking like the '70s, you know, the mid '70s, late '70s, you know, there was a you know the, our our major cities were falling apart. New York was New York was just a cesspool. Yeah. And you and there was a lot of there was a, there was a huge exodus from the East Coast to the West Coast that yep. kind of began really in earnest. I mean, it was always there, but it began really in earnest in the '70s, and that's when we moved. Um, 
but you get a movie like Wilderness Family, which tapped into that because in, in the movie, the family, they want to leave the city. They don't like the crime. Yeah. Their kid's not going to you know, grow up safe. So they decide to decamp to the uh, Rocky Mountains. And they, whatever, meet bears and eat bears and get eaten by bears. It's just, these movies are terrible. But I just have such fond memories of watching them. Oh, that's awesome. Um, the people who own Miramax now, as, as you all know, are doing a, uh, the, the huge push to exploit all the titles from the Miramax library. And uh, they're releasing a lot of them through Echo Bridge. And that includes Miramax double features and triple features and quadruple features. And uh, they're really just working it, trying to find every possible way to uh, make back the money that they spent buying this gigantic library. And uh, really, this is all the library stuff uh, that isn't getting released through Lionsgate. So Echo Bridge is getting kind of the second tier stuff. But we got a bunch of new double features here on Blu-ray, and uh, they're not bad. i got to say, they're, they're doing kind of a smart job of pairing up some of these things. Some of them are obvious, some not so obvious. In this case, we have uh, Becoming Jane, which is the semi-fictionalized, partially historical, uh, semi-biographical look at the life of Jane Austen, starring Anne Hathaway as Jane Austen. Wonderful performance here by uh, Maggie Smith as well. And they've paired this up with Franco Zeffirelli's Jane Eyre which uh, stars William Hurt as Rochester and Charlotte Gainsbourg as, uh, as Jane. Not as great as the more recent Jane Eyre, but not bad. So, you know, the whole, um, it, again, Jane Eyre was not written by Jane Austen, but the name Jane is there, and, you know, from Bronte to Jane Austen, from Char- uh, Emily Bron- or, yeah, Charlotte Bronte to Jane Austen is not uh, such a huge leap. So um, this is kind of, you know, aimed at the same target audience. And then we also have uh, a couple of these horrible Dracula films from that uh, Miramax Dracula series, Dracula 2000 and Dracula 2 Ascension. Um, both total junk films. Uh, Wes Craven uh, basically uh, got behind this and didn't really do anything, but it has something of minor following. And then we also have uh, The Prophecy and Prophecy 2 with Christopher Walken. That still has a bit of a following. That's also out on a uh, Blu-ray double feature, which I think is not a bad, uh, not a bad thing if you're a Walken fan. It's kind of one of his more interesting performances in not-so-remarkable movies. And uh, then speaking of Wes Craven, we have another uh, Miramax double feature of two Wes Craven films that are really kind of minor. One is a Wes Craven film, and the other one is uh, Wes Craven Presents. Um, neither of them really deserve to be in any way re- you know, regarded as, uh, as high art, but it is, the films are They and Cursed. Uh, if you had a film called R, you could have it a trilogy, They Are Cursed. Not, I'll get it. not a good joke. Wait, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to uh, make you eat another I'm caramel sorry. cookie. I don't want to eat another caramel cookie. The only really uh, thing to recommend about this is Cursed because it has a decent cast, which includes a younger Jesse Eisenberg and Christina Ricci and you know uh, Milo, Mont- Milo Vantamiglia. So it's a, that's a decent cast. Uh, they is just totally forgettable. So uh, that's an interesting collection of double features on Blu-ray from the Miramax Library, courtesy of the people at Echo Bridge, and very affordably priced, I might add. Well, you should add that, Wade. Because you're that kind of a guy. All right, so uh, let's talk about four of these um, uh, Universal 100th Anniversary Blu-ray special editions that I like a lot. Um, The four I have here are actually four of the least successful ones, although they're still mostly terrific films. Um, But I do think Universal is doing a generally good job with these uh, 100th Anniversary movies. Yes, it is a cheesy, opportunistic excuse to come out with these movies again. But uh, at least they're not crapping them out. The first is Harvey. And uh, for those of a certain age, of which I'm not, but I kind of am, you know, a little bit, uh, I cross over that a little bit. Well, I mean, Harvey was 1950. But when I was a kid, it was, Harvey was like that old movie from the 50s that our parents loved. Harvey stars Jimmy Stewart, and uh, he becomes friends with an imaginary rabbit. Oh. That's it. The end. Are that they, is the movie. They're remaking this, aren't they? They were supposed to remake this with uh, Jim Carrey. Oh, jeez. And that didn't happen. And then I think they were supposed to remake it with, um, <laughs> you know, you know, Mads they, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. No, they <laughs> they they need to do a a double sequel, a sequel to Harvey and a sequel to uh, Donnie Darko, where Harvey, it, like Alien versus Predator, right? Kind of in the same vein. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, Harvey like takes mm-hmm. on Donnie Darko, and it's like it it literally become and the winner is the one who uh, sucker punches the other one with a rabbit punch. But in the end, you'll have to... But, uh, but you just said the word sucker punch, and as you know, yeah. it's my all-time favorite film. 
Anyway, Har- yeah. Har- you realize that Har- Harvey is a, it's an Oscar-winning film. I know. Best supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so this film it's, it's you know it's adorable, it's cute, it's not quite you know like it's a Wonderful Life perennial, but it's considered adorable. Spielberg, as you say, was going to re- uh, redo this. Jim Carrey was attached at one point. Um, the uh, 1080p transfer because this is 1950, it's in 135, but it looks good, about as good as it can be, can be expected. Um, now that we're getting into the, you know, still good, but B-level universal releases, the extras are not as exciting. Um, but there is a, a sweet remembrance of the film by Jimmy Stewart, shot in 1990. So that's Harvey. Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I was never a huge Abbott and Costello fan, so I don't know that I really care much about this one. But uh, people do love it. Uh, it's in the film, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Hence the name. Yes. That's why they call it that. I was wondering what it was about. Yeah. I, I, you know, the cryptic title like that, it just kind of throws you. It's you thought, a, like, God, Abbott and Costello, do they meet well, the Wolfman? It's like, it's like the unbearable lightness of being. It's like, what's that about? Yeah. You Abbott know? and Costello meets Frankenstein. What, yeah. what, do they meet like Dracula? Could be. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, this one has, uh, the one thing I do like about this one is that there's a great uh, commentary by film, histo- <coughs> film historian Gregory Mank. And he knows a lot about the um, he knows a lot about Abbott and Costello. He knows a lot about that Aaron film. So that is pretty much for me probably better than the movie. Mm-hmm. I have to say. Um, anyway, so Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I'm kind of on the on the minority on Abbott and Costello. I'm not a fan of Abbott and Costello. I was not a fan of the Three Stooges. The only one of those those groups I liked was the Marx Brothers. I revered. I love them the all. Marx Brothers. I love them all. I, I do because you're an idiot. I know. Uh, 16 Candles is the uh, John Hughes film that features Anthony Michael Hall in just the most dreadful bra- headgear. I-, I had the same headgear that Anthony Michael wore mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. So I felt for Anthony Michael Hall in this movie, 16 Candles. Um, this is one of uh, John Hughes's lesser efforts, but still good. And still quite I would agree memorable. with that. Although a lot of people think this is the film, this is like for a lot of people, a lot, a lot of women, the especially. Club? A lot of women of a certain age. Sixteen Candles is the movie. I guess I say that because I'm married to one of them. You know, seriously, this is like this is it. This is the one they quote from. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is good stuff too. Again, um, the good thing here, because this is obviously a newer release is that there's a, uh, a ten-part documentary that features interviews with the cast, and I like that a lot. You get to see how these people look now that they're older. Although, Anthony Michael Hall, he still works. Yeah. That was in Batman, but he, but he, the, the second Batman film. But he's not a, uh, a nerd anymore. He's he like, is not. He's, like, buffed out now. He's totally buffed yeah. out. Uh, anyway, so that's that. He's all to grown m- up. To me, the best one is... Uh, this <laughs> Wade? I know. It's one of the, it's one of the great the cheese fests of all time. It really is. Wade yeah. from 1970, Airport. Uh, is available on Blu-ray. Now, Airport uh, s- kind of started the uh, Irwin Allen-y, disaster epic-y trend. Y- you know when you watch this film, there is no doubt that this film is from 1970. It couldn't possibly have been made in 1969. Well, mainly because the opticals are so terrible. It just screams 1970. The year of release of this movie had to have a 7 in front of it. <laughs> it couldn't have had a nine, a seven, a 6. It, it, it had to have a 7. I mean, listen to this... Ca- this is awesome. Now, this is the best cast ever. Now, by the way, Airport at the time, this was a huge, huge release. This oh, it was, was a like, massive, this, massive this, film. This was a hugely anticipated film based on the, I think, the Arthur Haley book. Yeah. And Arthur Haley had done another book called Hotel, which was made into a, a movie. Horrible TV series, too. A, a TV series. And now you got Airport in 1970, and Haley became like the guy. And they wound up making a whole bunch of Airport sequels. Oh, they were awful. They, they were each one was increasingly terrible. Yeah. Until they finally wound up with it was like Airport seventy seven, the Concord. No, yeah. it was it was Concord Airport seventy nine. That's what it was. That was the last one, and it yeah. was terrible. Um, so here's the cast of Airport. I love this. This movie is so cheesy. It's the best. Burt Lancaster, oh, yeah. Gene Seberg, mm-hmm. right from uh, you know True sure. Truffaut's favorite. Yeah. Uh, Jacqueline Bissett. Yep. Now George. Okay, hang on for a second. I, I, I love these movies. Maureen Stapleton, oh, Lloyd yeah. Nolan. Barbara Hale, Dean Martin. Yeah, everyone loves Dean, Dean Martin. Dean Martin? Yes. I know, I know. It's just that when, when you get play, to Dean... He the pilot. I know. When you get to Dean Martin, you kind of go, Dean Martin? Van Heflin? I remember uh, my mother and I used to go to these movies. Yeah. And George Kennedy was in all of them. Yeah. And he played a character called, like, Joe Patrone. Mm-hmm. And I remember in subsequent sequels, 
I would turn to my mother and I'd go, oh, it's George Patron. It's George Patron. He's coming to save the day. It's so awesome. Because, you know, he's George Patron. I know. Anyway, this was this was uh, this is a very nice looking transfer. This this is actually a large format Todd A.O. production. And so this is like 65 millimeter source material used nice. to make this Blu-ray. So it does look good. And uh, the special features are kind of a dud. Uh, that's the only thing I don't like about it. But the good thing is that Helen Hayes, who looks every day of her 5,000 years that she was in this film, just sitting in the – remember, she, she, sat in the, um, she sat in the middle seat, and she would knit for the yeah. entire movie. It's great. Um, that's how they got her to do the movie. They just <laughs> said, you never actually have to leave your trailer. We'll just art direct the, uh, the interior of the cabin into your trailer. <laughs> There's no dialogue. No dialogue. Just knit. Just sit there and knit. Anyway, it just moves great. Yeah. Air- airport is just, you know what it is, honestly? You should really rent Airport. They, what, the, what they should do is when they have the safety film ahead of uh, every flight, they should, instead of having the demonstration, just say, we are now going to show you Airport. Anything happens, just do what they do in this movie. That's what they should say. It is true. Yeah. And uh, now, of course, with this came, you know, there was uh, around this time Towering Inferno, and there was a whole lot of these. Now, Irwin Allen wound up being the you know, synonymous well, with those movies. Well, and he had had all those TV series in the 60s, so yeah. he segued from that into this, and yeah. So, brilliant. Uh, just brilliant. It's just great. Anyway, Airport is awesome. Uh, you know, we have some great catalog titles from two companies that we rave about a lot, uh, Twilight Time and Olive Films. These guys basically do the same thing. They have gone and they've licensed a lot of these great titles from uh, the studios, which the studios apparently have no interest in exploiting on their own, and God love them for it, because they do a great job. Twilight Time, uh, who, and you can only buy Twilight Time idols at ScreenArchives.com. That's the only place you can get them. They have an exclusive deal with ScreenArchives.com. Two great titles here, one from the 20th Library and one from the uh, Columbia, uh, i.e. Sony Library. Uh, the Sound of the Fury from 1959 is this really cool Martin Ritt film. And Martin Ritt, you know, was like the, the guy for a long time. He just made these very solid, earthy films, character-driven uh, not overly showy, but just tremendous acting and really, really well staged. And uh, this is one of his more underrated films. I think it's a terrific adaptation of the uh, William Faulkner novel because he changes the novel in substantial ways and really compresses the drama. Tremendous performances here from Joanne Woodward and Yul Brynner and, uh, it, you know, uh, Margaret Layton. And uh, it's, it's really, this is a really sharp movie. I, uh, I think she does a great, they just did a really terrific job with this. The other thing that's really appealing about all of these um, Twilight Time releases is that they include isolated score tracks. And here you have this tremendous score by Alex North that is just beautiful to listen to. So Twilight Time uh, really did a great number on that. And then the other one from uh, Columbia, I'm kind of just shocked that they would let this go because this isn't old and this isn't, like, even I mean, you could still make a, a buck or two off of Steel Magnolias. Oh my God! Yeah, you know that's know. a terrible cover. I know because it, that's, that's, that's the one thing. It's not a great cover, but you the, know. Well, the, the problem is that the reason why this is terrible is because you've got Julia Roberts, Dolly Parton, Sally Field. You know, these are you know big time. It's still, people still know who they are. Shirley MacLaine. I know. It's not like these people are all like you know dead or, no. or unknown now. No. Put them front and center. On the cover, let people see them, but they're they're in like this sort of like well, half buried pastel little yeah. flower petals. It's not it's not great uh, design for the cover. I'll, I will say that, but uh, it's a very good transfer. The movie still holds up. It's a total chick flick, uh, you know. There's, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, directed by Herbert Ross, who of course uh, made a lot of stinkers and a lot of great films too. Did the Turning Point on the high side, Footloose on the low side. Um, but Herbert Ross, uh, by the way, you know Herbert Ross started as a started as a uh, choreographer. You know that, right? Well, that that's why he was considered perfect for Turning Point. Yeah, and, and because he, he transitioned between the two Bride Barbara Streisand movies. He's choreographer on Funny Girl, and then he made his directing debut on Funny Lady. See? Good guy. But anyway, uh, Steel Magnolia still really holds up. Julia Roberts is terrific. Sally Field is terrific. Everybody in this movie is terrific, and it, uh, it's a lovely movie and a great transfer, and that it includes not only the isolated score, but the Herbert Ross commentary that was recorded before he passed away. As opposed to the one that was, that was recorded after he passed away, where he which didn't is, say a lot. Which is creepy, because there's like all this woo with it. You know, it's like every, uh, all, ghosts should not do uh, commentaries. They just shouldn't. Now, we have, uh, by the way, we have a Vox Box coming up, don't yes, we? Yes, we do. We do indeed. We're going to have Vox Box. I'm not saying you should do it now. I'm just saying. We're, we got it coming up. We yeah, got it coming, coming. 
and then from the Olive Films Library, these are all Paramount Library uh, titles. And uh, this is a really interesting collection. This is a 1972 film called Child's Play with um, James Mason and Bo Bridges and... Uh, really just one of these incredibly cool 1970s era films that we all forget about. And for crying out loud, Mark, this is like based on a major Broadway play and directed by Sidney Lumet. Are you kidding me? Child's Play? Why have I never heard of this? Uh, this we, one went right past me. It is bizarre. Yeah. But Lumet was, uh, you know, if Lumet puts his name on it, it's got to be decent. Well, it's, it is, you know, this is uh, one of those... Uh, movies essentially takes place. It, it's like the boys' school is prison film. You know, I always talk about that a lot. Like, where you like have if whatever. Yeah, it's got a lot of that in it. But it's just, it's you know it's a Catholic boys' school and uh, it's it's it is it's quite good. It still feels like a little bit like a play, but it's uh, the acting is just first rate. And you know it should be among uh, Sidney Lumet's more memorable films, more noteworthy films from the seventies. I just don't know why it. Uh, I never heard of it before. I'm still catching up. You know, I'm still a film student in many ways. Uh, Man on a Swing from 1974. I got to tell you, this is, I, I, would, I wanted to like this more than I did. Um, Cliff Robertson and Joel Gray are such kind of icons of the 70s, but this thing just for some reason felt uh, strangely dated to me. I don't know why. Uh, directed by Frank Perry, who I normally like a lot. Uh, Frank Perry actually did uh, a number of really cool films in the 50s and 60s. Um, and uh, feels a little bit out of his element here with The uh, Man on a Swing. Um, just kind of feels like a movie that it just fell prey to all of the sensibilities of the of the 70s, and uh, it's not a very good crime film. Uh, I, you know, I wish I could say better things about it. Uh, better is Pursued, which is a cool Raoul Walsh film starring Robert Mitchum and Teresa Wright, two people that I just love to death. Uh, Alan Hale is in it as well. This is from 1947. Just a classic, classic Western. Um, they call it a Western noir. I, I wouldn't exactly go that far. Harry Carey Jr., who shows up in all these damn Westerns from this period, is in here. Uh, great introduction by Martin Scorsese. Really uh, just a, one of these just rough-and-tumble, gritty Westerns from the 40s uh, when, before they got a little bit too colorful and epic and widescreen in the 50s and 60s. And Robert Mitchum is great in it, just a great, tough guy. Wrapping things up a little bit, an unsung Fritz Long film, Secret Beyond the Door, with Joan Bennett and Michael Redgrave. This is also from 1947, and, uh, you know, again, kind of uh, Fritz Long, I wouldn't say slumming it, but certainly uh, adapting himself a little bit to uh, the film noir sensibilities of Hollywood while trying to sort of preserve some of his own artistic sensibilities. Coming in from Germany, that's pretty cool. And uh, from 1946, The Dark Mirror. Uh, starring Olivia de Havilland and Lou Ayers. And, uh, you know, uh, Robert Syadmak, one of the, another kind of a noir director, specialist in drama and crime films, uh, really it does a good job here. Not one of his best films, uh, but a great performance by Olivia de Havilland. And then lastly, Mark, there can be no wrong with Walter Matthau and Elaine May. Awesome. Uh, this was written and directed by Elaine May, who unfortunately got a real raw deal in her career because of Ishtar, which I still say is a funny film, and we're still waiting for that damn thing to come out on Blu-ray. What the hell is the problem? Wait, what, what, what movie are we talking about? A New Leaf. Ah, New Leaf. Yeah. A New Leaf. Uh, another, just, I hope this represents kind of a reevaluation of Elaine May as a performer and a director and all that. This is a really, really cool film. Uh, and I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that it uh, sort of disappeared and that her career has just sort of been flushed away. This is from 1971. And not only is this just feature a riotously funny Walter Matthau, it, Mark, it's got James Coco in it. <laughs> See, Coco. I knew I'd get a laugh out of you when I mentioned awesome. James Coco. Why do we love James Coco? Because he's so Dom DeLuise. He is, isn't he? He's just it's a the best. big, fat comic actor. This is just great. James Coco is the best. He really is. It's I mean, the guy's named after chocolate. Of course he's fat. But it's like if you take Dom DeLuise and James Coco and uh, Zero Mostel and put them all in a movie, you would have to expand the aspect ratio at least 30% because they wouldn't fit on the, on the screen. You could, not, you could not back the camera up far enough. That's true. To get them both into frame. Nah, that's just a sad, sad We are thing. funny, funny people. <laughs> we say things that are funny. So what are we doing now? We're going to do some. Uh, you want me to talk yeah, about Blu-ray? Uh, you want to do some? Uh, let's do the Vox Box, and then because um, we've been doing the Vox Box at the end of the show the last few times, so let's get that out of the way now. And then we got a few more uh, classic uh, titles to talk about, and then new movies, and then uh, we might be able to get to some TV this week. We, we what? really, the, you know, the TV was fast and furious last week, and then bam, it just they dropped it on us again. So a lot of television. We don't get it all to this week. We'll get to it next week. But yeah, let's do the Vox Box right now. All right, Mark. 
Oh, is it, is it's, it my it's, turn? It's time. <clears throat> Hang on. Take a glass of water. Oh, yeah. yes, please. By all means. Oh, yeah. Water on the rocks. Okay. It's Fox Box. Wait, Mark. This is Tony from Texas again. I just uh, wanted to kind of chime in. This is not really a question, so I don't know if you guys will air it, but if you do, it's great. It really has to do with the comments you've made over the past, I guess, oh, year or so regarding DVD and Blu-ray. And I know both of you are kind of at a loss why a DVD still exists as a format, why they're still using it as a format. And I would be one of the reasons why. I'm an individual not of great means, and so therefore I still have some latent DVD technology. And until Blu-rays become affordable, which is only just now happening... Uh, until Blu-ray players become more affordable, I do not have any desire or need to up-convert any of my collection to Blu-ray. Now, I did notice this past weekend there are a few places that are starting to show, like Target, for example, had some players that were $79, and that's great. And as soon as as soon as soon everybody follows suit and they start dropping uh, more of those players down to that level, I'll, I guarantee you'll start seeing more of a surge towards uh, Blu-ray. But the problem is there is a glut of DVD technology out there in the market. Uh, just five, six, seven years ago, DVD players dropped down to $30 a pop. And so when you have technology that cheap, it simply harkens back to the days of Betamax versus VHS. When the technology was cheaper, that's what everybody went with. It was easier, it was cheaper, it was more abundant. Uh, you know, Betamax may have been more of the premium, but uh, VHS was certainly a uh, more affordable format and more prevalent. As soon as uh, Blu-rayers get cheaper, and as they seem to be going in that direction, Blu-ray players, Blu-rayers, uh, you will see more people starting to upconvert what they have. But the problem will continue to be that they they don't have a, a reason to buy a Blu-ray disc if they don't have a Blu-ray player. And we're talking cars, vacation homes, portable players. There's a huge market out there that still is untapped for Blu-ray. So, for what it's worth, there you go. Thanks. And big thank you to Tony Washburn in Texas. Um, you know what? He, he raises a lot of really good points. And it's I think it's something that the studios have grudgingly started to try and uh, reconcile themselves to, which is the fact that uh, there is so much DVD technology still out there, and it's so affordable for a certain segment of the population that it really hasn't hit a saturation point yet. Even though the, the, the market for DVD discs seems to have plummeted or flat or you know sort of flatlined a little bit. It's still billions and billions of dollars. It's still billions of dollars, and there's and there's still a level of the population that is for whom DVD is actually new. I mean, there are people who are just like, hey, I just got a DVD player. They're not even thinking Blu-ray yet. So, and and I got to tell you something. You know, if you have a certain caliber of gear, um, DVDs look pretty awesome. I mean, I, uh, I'll, be, I'll be at some point in the future, as soon as I have it all you know, finished, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the, the new home theater setup that I've been spending the better part of the last you know, six or seven months on putting together. But um, I've been watching a lot of my screeners when I do you know, the NPR stuff. Um, they'll send me you know, a lot of these screeners, and I do these marathon two- and three-day sessions, and you know, watching stuff on just you know, DVD-Rs that they send me from the various studios and distributors. And on a really, really nice Marantz... Blu-ray player and on a great TV, that stuff looks amazing. You know, you sit at the proper distance from the television, you can't tell. You really can't. Well, like we we had talked about the, and we talked about this a long time ago. In fact, we're quoted talking about this in our in our initial interview with IGN to launch this whole podcast. That the distance between VHS and DVD was so great, yeah. That DVD was a no-brainer. Yeah. Now you're talking about the distance between DVD and Blu-ray to yeah. most people is not, it's that not great. So, no. And then you got the price of the player, and then you have to, and then all the upgrades that you need in order to take full advantage of it. Yeah. And people in Texas aren't don't really care. No. And by the way, there's no reason why you should look. I mean, you know, money's money. The times are tight. Don't you shouldn't feel obligated to buy a Blu-ray player. No. I mean, look, I love Blu-ray, and I think it's the way of the future. But I'm going to tell you something. There was no way if you had a VHS tape, there was no way to make that VHS even come close to approximating what DVD looked like on a bad television and a bad player. But if you have DVDs, you upgrade your player and you upgrade your television, you just upgraded that DVD. That's true. So, and that's a, that's a dynamic that I think uh, has not been sufficiently addressed. So, Tony, thank you. Really, really good comment. And uh, I think that speaks for a lot of people out there. 
All right, Mark, uh, why don't you knock out those, and I will knock out these, and then we will take a dive into TV through the remainder of the show. You know what's weird about the, uh, the Grapes of Wrath? It's just it's based on a crap novel. Exactly. Why do they ever make it into a movie? I don't understand. It's because this the the movie is essentially a, a, a it's essentially a left wing movie made by a right wing director, which <laughs> really, really which really goes to show you how it, it does. It's true. Know, if it doesn't matter if you're a white person, you can direct a movie about uh, no, African American experience. And I think that's what makes it a strong movie. I, I really do. Because he he really wanted to show that he could. Do justice to this material. It's, it's balanced, you know. It suddenly doesn't is become it fair a, and balanced. It's fair and balanced. It doesn't become. It's not a polemic. It becomes more about the characters and the people, and you really feel as though the ideas kind of take a, a backseat to character, which I, it makes always makes for a stronger movie. Well, you know, that's especially true because you're talking about, you know, we're 2012 now, so the the actual real life events yeah. that you know, motivated John Steinbeck to write the novel and motivated John Ford to direct the movie. You know, we're talking about the, you know, the California migration and uh, all this. That is way in the past now. So modern audiences watching The Grapes of Wrath, they don't have the advantage of knowing what happened back then and using that as sort of an emotional springboard to get you into the movie. Now, especially younger audiences, to them, this is just a movie about this poor farming family that's uh, on a wagon train or whatever. That's all they know. So it has to live and die on its own merits, and it does. This is a great film. As Wade says, it is now strictly about uh, character and story and one of the great uh, main characters of any American film, uh, you know, Henry Fonda, playing uh, Tom Joad. And uh, Tom Joad is a, plays a guy. He's paroled, spends a couple years in jail, returns to his Oklahoma farm to find that his family's been tractored off the land, they call it, and they're migrating to California. So that's what it's about, and it's a great film. It's an amazing script. You know, the, uh, the script used a lot of, and Nunnally Johnson was very good at this. He had done this in, in other films too. Very good at using just choice lines from the source material, the choice lines that really make you cry and really sell the drama. And that's what, another reason why the script is so great. I mean, the movie was, you know, it won a couple of Academy Awards. John Ford won an Oscar for it. So this is great stuff. There's a, a special feature by um, Joseph McBride and uh, Susan uh, Schillinglaw, who's a John Steinbeck scholar. That's terrific. There's, a, uh, there's an A&E special here about Daryl F. Zanuck. Um, now, the Zanucks just had a uh, death in the family recently, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. So, uh, Richard Zanuck, the... Uh the, the son of Daryl Zanuck That's right. and uh, producer, of, producer of Jaws and many other films. The Sting. Husband of uh, Lily Feeney Zanuck, who directed... Uh, Planet of the Apes. No, she didn't direct Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Just throwing movies She directed out. Rush. She what? She directed Rush. Oh, that's right. Not the band. The, the, no, the, the, the Jason uh, Patrick Jason movie Patrick about uh, undercover cops and heroin addiction Interesting. and all that. Interesting. Yeah. I anyway, wish she'd direct again. She's a good director. That is true. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. Anyway, high, very highly recommended on Blu-ray. It looks terrific. They went back to, uh, I'm not sure what print they found for this, but it was a good print, and they cleaned it up well. And um, Grapes of Wrath, a classic film that is well worth seeing on Blu-ray. Uh, finally, from the Classics Collection, we have, from the good folks at uh, Fox, we have Zorba the Greek. Now, Zorba the Greek features uh, Anthony Quinn in his pretty much his signature role. It is. This is the one that everyone remembers him for. And he's this, you know, he's, he's flamboyant and he's fun-loving and the guy just loves to dance and loves the ladies and does all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's just a great movie. And this also has a great transfer. And this also has a couple of decent um, uh, special features, including an A&E biography on Anthony Quinn. Uh, which is a very good. There's also a uh, audio commentary by the director who's still around and a uh, professor of, uh, actually, I'm not sure what he's a professor of, but uh, he really adds a lot to the, the uh, commentary. Anyway, uh, Anthony Quinn won an Oscar for this because he's amazing. And so uh, he, in the movie, if you haven't seen it, he's like this, he's this larger-than-life guy, Zorba. He meets this very shy Englishman played by Alan Bates, and they're on Crete, and they decide to, you know, kind of... He, Zorba kind of mentors Alan Bates while on the island of Crete, teaching him the ways of the world. And it's just a great film. It's a great film. It's, a, it's just a huge, full-bodied, lustful film that is just terrific. So Zorba the Greek is out on Blu-ray, uh, also another terrific transfer, and uh, Grapes of Wrath, two great films worth renting. I understand if you want to buy them, but yep. if you are a film scholar or want to make sure that you fill in as many gaps as you can in your them. film knowledge, 
you have to see especially Graves of Wrath, but also Zorba the Greek. Love them both. They're both great films. You know, we got an, uh, an interesting uh, film here that I'm, I'm elated to finally have on Blu-ray and DVD, but it, it, uh, it is with some reservations. Mad Monster Party is one of my all-time favorites from uh, when I was a kid. I mean, I grew up on this movie. This is just a classic, wonderful, brilliant uh, Rankin-Bass feature film from 1967. Uh, Rankin-Bass, of course, you know, had all the great TV specials from the holidays, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, all that stuff, and um, this is uh, this was their their dalliance into you know doing that style of animation uh, as a feature film, and it's great. You know, you have I mean the late Phyllis Diller does a voice in here, Boris Karloff, Karloff of course uh, play, basically playing himself, and the whole idea is you know I mean Karloff plays Baron von Frankenstein, and uh, there's going to be a you know a big a big convention uh, of the worldwide organization of monsters and uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun you get to kind of pull in uh, dracula and the mummy and everybody else and it, a lot of great music and great animation it's a really fun film just a classic classic animated rankin bass title the problem is nobody has bothered to fix the elements that have been a problem for so long and uh, a lot of people thought once it makes it to blu-ray and we have a blu-ray dvd combo pack here uh, courtesy of Lionsgate, they think once it makes it to Blu-ray, we'll fix everything. The problem is they haven't fixed anything. There are still all kinds of color dropouts and uh, and marks on the print, and it's not terrible. But you know, you look at it and you just think, in this age and of all of these video tools and restoration and making things pristine for Blu-ray, couldn't you just take a little bit of time out, spend a couple of thousand dollars on having some guy on some kind of a computer fix this and at least make it look a little bit better? But no, they didn't do it. Uh, and then there's also the issue of the film's aspect ratio. And, Mark, we looked a little bit into this to try and discern the history because this has been 133 for as long as we can remember. Both previous DVD releases were 133, full screen. And uh, I kept thinking that, it's got, that, that this could not have been exhibited in 133, not in 1967. It's the era of widescreen. Nobody would release uh, a 133 film in 1967. But it turns out, by all accounts, this was released 137, which is the strangest aspect ratio I've ever heard for a movie. But there it is. I don't know why they would uh, make that choice. It's a very strange thing. I mean, I don't see this as being a full-blown CinemaScope film. No. But, but I certainly don't see it as being a, a, you know, a, a, a TV aspect ratio film. Yeah. Unless they – unless – But 137 isn't even TV. 137 is like – It's like a weird, like, like, like you intermediate know, yeah, ratio or something. Like 166 is one thing. You know, it's like the very low-level widescreen. And then you, you've got 133 for television. 137? Has anything ever been shot 137? It's very strange. I have no idea. It's very weird. Anyway. You're weird. I am weird. So, uh, but still a great fun film. And uh, look, it's Blu-ray. So if you you have already double-dipped on DVD, probably no need to do so again. But if you bought the first DVD, you might want to uh, splurge and go out and get this. Uh, Especially if you have a large television so that you can see all the flaws in their shining glory. And uh, then we've got uh, three from the Warner Archive collection, which you can find more about at uh, warnerarchive.com. Got the uh, great western The Hanging Tree with Gary Cooper, Carl Malden, and uh, Maria Schell. This is um, a really solid Delmer Dave's B-level western elevated by a very, very good cast. Um, Similarly, you have Battle Circus starring June Allison and Humphrey Bogart. This was an unusual MGM film. Uh, for the era, and it was uh, directed by Richard Brooks, who, of course, is a very hard-hitting guy and produced by Pondro Berman. Um, it's a you know, it's a, it's a bit of an odd movie um, because it's a Korean War movie that uh, was made essentially right kind of during the Korean War. And uh, that, uh, like the World War II movies that were made during World War II, you kind of feel like it's a little bit propaganda and a little bit uninformed, and they're kind of uh, flying blind. Um, but the, you know, this is basically uh, very much about the, the MASH units in the Korean War uh, long before MASH itself was made. And uh, Bogart's good, but it's just a, it's a little bit kind of uneven. And a movie that I actually like quite a bit, uh, this is from the uh, Archive Collection's Film Noir series. This is Born to be Bad. Uh, starring Joan Fontaine, Robert Ryan, and Zachary Scott. And uh, anything with Joan Fontaine is okay by me. Uh, directed by Nicholas Ray, who, of course, was the brilliant director that would go on to do things like uh, Rebel Without a Cause and uh, King of Kings and on and on and on. Lots of great movies. Nicholas Ray, very talented guy. And a uh, very, very slick uh, film noir here that sometimes uh, runs under the radar of people who talk a lot about great film noirs. So go check out Born to be Bad 
one of the more memorable Joan Fontaine performances. Um, We're doing TV? We got a little bit of time left, Mark. We can uh, talk TV about it. Some, we can TV it up. The Big Bang Theory fifth season is on. Uh, you, you know, you, you would think for a movie about geeks, they would release these on Blu-ray. It just seems weird to me that they that they don't. I don't understand the attraction of this uh, show. I have to say, I do not. Uh, oh wait, hang on. They just <laughs> hand me the Blu-ray. I watched the DVD. Uh, DVD hadn't released. Yeah. It was a Blu-ray. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I they, take they, that back. The, the blue, don't the stop bl- the recording. No, the blue the Blu-ray actually came separately from the DVD. Oh, came came a couple of days ago. All right. Well, I, still I neglected get, to mention that. I still don't get the show. <laughs> it, it just seems like the the, the the show carts out just like the most cliche, just like kind of low hanging nerd, fruit. Nerd of, culture. It's just like the most low hanging fruit jokes of nerd culture. I, I just think it's lame. I, and Jim Parsons. It's, it's I mean, a good cast. I like, like the cast. Oh, Jim Parsons, he's the greatest. Let's give him. I remember when, when we saw the Muppet movie and Jim Parsons did a cameo, people went nuts. I'm like, really? And Jim Parsons is going to make you go nuts? I mean, okay, if it was like Justin Bieber, I can see you going nuts and you're 15 years old. But Jim Parsons, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying he's not funny. It's just, God, leave me alone. Yeah. Anyway, special features on this um, fifth season DVD and Blu-ray mm-hmm. include uh, <laughs> now this this season actually is the big season because this is the one where they cross the 100th episode threshold uh, syndica- syndication dollars to change ching guaranteed syndication dollars so there's a um, there's a featurette on them uh, celebrating the 100th episode there's a gag reel uh, behind the scenes at the look at the production so anyway, not really my cup of tea, but people love it. Big Bang Theory, complete fifth season. Uh, Terra Nova, the complete series. This was the show that was supposed to run for years and years and years. And it was too expensive, and it didn't do well enough. It sucked. Uh, you know what? Look, uh, you cannot. This this is amazing. Thirteen freaking episodes of a show that was that was legendary because it went ridiculously over budget. I don't know what was the the pilot episode was like eighty five million dollars or something. Yeah. It was insane. This went so overboard. And uh, all it really is is just a dramatic version of Land of the Lost. You know, Sid and Marty Croft shot that thing on video with some people in sleestack costumes on, on a soundstage yeah, for a buck fifty. Yeah, but we were 50. like four years old. To us, it you know what? Land, Land of the Lost, more profitable than this show will ever be. That is true. So, uh, you know, Sid and Marty Croft laughing all the way to the bank. No, this was just too much production value, too, too huge of an attempt to do an unwieldy, gigantic, time-traveling sci-fi epic for television. Um, and that being said, the 13 episodes, they're fine. They're okay. Uh, it, it, you can tell that this show just suffers under the weight of its own ambition. And, uh, you know, the idea, of course, people who you know, are trying to escape uh, desolation in the future and they go back in time to, make a, to see if they could sort of, you know, make a life for themselves in the past and fix things for the future. Uh, interesting concept, but just too much for television. Wade, here's the situation. Tired of vampires. Tired of them. Sick of it. Exactly. I don't like uh, the Vampire Diaries, but uh, then again, I'm not 22 years old. This is uh, the complete third season on uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet. Um, again, although I think Nina Dobrev is delicious. She's so cute. Um, I don't really like the show. I don't like vampire shows. I'm tired of vampires. Just stop it. You know what? I, I saw some billboards for this, um, this new CW show called Beauty and the Beast. Now, mm-hmm. now hang on. Now, I, I'm just crazy, but it's Beauty and the Beast. Now, she's a beauty. That's fairly simple. It's at, at, on, on, yes. on the CW, you throw a rock, and there's like, you'll, you'll hit 15 beautiful girls on the CW. But I was under the impression that in Beauty and the Beast, the Beast was like ugly, and that was sort of the point. Yep. But of course, because this is the CW, the Beast is played by like the most smoking hottest guy who's ever lived. Yes. Or, although he has like a scar on his cheek or something, and that like, I guess makes him a Beast because like he's smoking hot but has a scar on his cheek. Yep. And I just think these CW shows are so predictable and lame and just uh, lowest common denominator. I mean, they're well shot. They look nice. The Blu-ray looks nice. But um, anyway, the Vampire Diaries is more about the, the whatever that town is, Mystic Falls. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of decent special features uh, on this thing, including a Blu-ray exclusive, um, all about the creative process and making the episodes. But um, this does not hold a candle to similar shows that are done on you know, Showtime or HBO or even FX. Um, I hear so you. So the Vampire Diary is not my cup of tea. And I'm going to wrap this out with a couple of titles. One is a television title, and the other is a movie title uh, that are uh, both of them accompanied by sad news with respect to breakups. 
that's how we're going to end the show, Mark. We're going to talk about breakups. Uh, Up All Night, the uh, first season starring Will Arnett. I think this show probably directly responsible in many respects for the recently announced separation of Amy Poehler and Will Arnett, Arnett which makes me very sad. because <laughs> always Arnett. Arnett. Uh, I, I thought they were a really great couple and I thought they'd be ones that last. But you know what? Uh, unfortunately, apparently the workload of her show and his show, that's always poison for these Hollywood relationships. Nobody's ever spending time together. Not that I'm trying to be some kind of a therapist. I'm just saying. Uh, Will Arnett went to work on uh, this show, and Amy Poehler goes to work on her show, and next thing you know, they're separating. That being said, Up All Night, pretty funny. Pretty funny. Uh, not brilliant comedy or anything. You know, there's only so much you can get with the baby jokes. And then Snow White and the Huntsman, which was the second Snow White debacle of the year, and uh, really noteworthy only because it's not as horrible as the other one. Um, you know what? Uh... Charlize Theron makes a perfectly, acceptably overacting evil queen. Kristen Stewart, terrible Snow White, and uh, in this revisionist view of the whole story. But that's and, the whole thing now. You, you've got Alice in Wonderland, where you know, know Alice is like some feminist who wields a sword and kills dragons. Yeah, and that's then even great. worse. You, 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 coming up, you've, you've got uh, the new adventures of Hansel and Gretel, where like Ugh. Jeremy Renner plays Hansel, and Gretel's like some kick-ass woman who like yeah, beats the crap great. out of everyone. Well, of course, as we know, she of course uh, wound up sleeping with her director on this film, which uh, shattered her relationship with uh, the guy that she's what, what's his name, the Twilight dude. Our Pats, our yeah. Pats, our Pats, and Case do. Wait, how dare you not know? Uh, yeah, whatever. And uh, I, I block all of that from my mind. As well, you should. And uh, of course, now the uh, that's everyone's wondering whether or not the breakup of that relationship will hurt the second part of the last Twilight installation. No, isn't that isn't no, that interesting? You know, they, the, 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 you know, the girls will flock. Yeah, they I will guess. flock and they will swoon. In fact, you know, honestly, I think it may they're make mad it at her, aren't they? They they are still mad at her. He he's coming out swinging like a rose. Yeah. First of all, he's done nothing wrong. And second of all, he shows up on The Daily Show, does a great job. Shows up on Good Morning America, does a great job. On, on top of that. Shows up on Red Carpet, looks very magnanimous. On top of that, uh, Robert Pattinson, and I am, of course, kidding about the name, uh, as, much, as forgettable as I would like for him to be, Robert Pattinson is also in, the, uh, in that new film, Rover. You, you read about Rover? I have not. Uh, David Michaud, who did uh, Animal Kingdom, it's his new film. Oh, really? And it's kind of, it's kind, it sounds kind of Mad Maxy. Robert Pattinson is, is uh, one of the stars in it, and it sounds like it's going to be quite a cool film. Just got picked up at Toronto, so really? uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I had no idea, although I have to say that uh, Robert Pattinson needs to be cast very gingerly. He yes, is not he does. good for everything. No, and especially not with pale skin. Get a tan, dude. Well, in Cosmopolis, um, he was kind of good for that part only because he looks like he's a guy who's so disconnected and lives almost his vampiric existence in his, in his limo that I buy that from him, but I can't see him being like a romantic lead. I agree. All right, hit us up at gods at digigods.com. We'll be back with you next week. Mm-hmm.